0: New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one. It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com/slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: Big Thing on Total Soccer Show, the weekly episode where we go in-depth on a big theme. Today we're talking about the Premier League title race. Do we have one this season? And if so, who are the key contenders? Now, according to the bookmakers, Man City are favourites once again. Surprise, surprise. With current leaders Arsenal and Liverpool expected to be the closest horses in the race. In this episode, we'll assess the chances of the key contenders and decide who we think is going to take the glory. That's right, Joe. Prediction time coming later for you. My name's Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Joining me today to talk Premier League, we have Mr Taylor Rockingwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. Hello. Joe Lowry, the aforementioned. Hello. Can't wait. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Graham Ruthven Hello, Graham. Hi. Hi to you, too. Uh, before we get into the Big Thing action, just a reminder that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show with bonus episodes, with bonus videos, and access to our Discord, where we can talk about the Big Thing and many other things, just as chums in our private little... Twittery, Discordy thing that we have going. It's lovely. Do join us there and support the show if you can. Now, Taylor, what's lovely about European soccer at the moment is that Arguably, in all top five European leagues, we can has a title race right now. Uh, Two points separating the top teams in the Premier League at the moment. Two points separating Inter and Juve in Italy. Girona tied with Real Madrid in Spain. Uh, Four points to fourth place Barcelona at the moment. Leverkusen leading Bayern in Germany. And Nice, a single point behind PSG as well. So obviously it's early. We're only in November as we record, or December actually. Um, But... It is exciting that no one's running away with it. It is indeed. Uh, I did enjoy
0: in researching this episode how many articles uh, along similar topics had to point out it's not even December yet. So let's not be premature and start talking about title races. And I just noted how many times each article said that as we prepare to talk about uh, a title race for between 45 minutes and an hour.
1: Fun stuff, indeed, yeah. We're all, all Graham, we've all got our eye on that league oh, race, of course, haven't we, with Nice <laughs> behind PSG. That's the crucial one in Europe at the moment.
2: Uh, should I admit, I actually do find that really interesting because of Nice and, their young Sir, manager Jim. and, yeah, and Sir Jim and all that, yeah. yeah. But
1: PSG are almost certainly going to win that title anyway. Nice, nice indeed. All right, why don't we turn our attention to the Premier League. The leaders at the moment, uh, Joe are Arsenal Football Club from North London. Now, we mentioned yesterday in our Champions League show that we might have been sleeping on Arsenal a little bit. They put in a terrific performance in the Champions League this week. They've been doing very well lately, uh, going well on all fronts. How likely are they to form a good challenge to Manchester City for the title?
3: Likely. They're, they're already doing that right now. There's no doubt about that. And they were the team that played Man City the closest throughout last season They come in through the summer. They strengthen in a lot of ways. Now they've had injuries and there are issues with this team that we'll get on to talk about. But I think Arsenal absolutely have a chance to end this season on the top of the Premier League table. I think the biggest reason that they're in that conversation right now is that they're doing all of the little things. They're doing all of the nitty-gritty things right now. They have been incredible defensively. They have been the best team defensively in the entire Premier League. They've allowed the fewest chances in the league so far. They've been excellent on set pieces as well, which is sort of the forgotten part of this sport. We rarely talk about it outside of when super big or controversial moments happen, but they have been the best team in the Premier League on set pieces as well. They've scored the most set piece goals in the league with eight. They've allowed the fewest set piece goals in the league with just one, and they've allowed the worst chances on set pieces. So they've allowed the fewest or the lowest quality, right? They're not giving up chances on defensive set pieces. They're doing a lot of things right, right now, And it's easy to imagine that when they get back and get fully healthy, Gabriel Jesus has only played 429 minutes so far this season in the Premier League. When they get back and fully healthy for at least a few games at a time and keep some momentum going, it's easy to see a lot of the other things falling into place. So that's the pro-Arsenal argument. I've got some anti-Arsenal arguments as well. But I think they 100% have a chance to be in this discussion for the rest of the season. I think Joe has covered uh, a
0: lot of ground there really well nice done Joe uh, hey, I would thanks. I would say to add a little more detail in there um when you talk about they're already doing the nitty-gritty, they're already doing some of the work, I think a key thing would be they've already beaten Man City this season, which is mm. something that they really had not been able to do, uh, and so that does feel like it is sort of getting over at least a hump uh, for this team, and the way they are able to do it, the way they were able to kind of go at Man City, they didn't look overawed, they didn't bunker and then like get a fortunate goal, it feels like they played their game plan, they adjusted as needed, and they were able to effectively beat Man City, which is a thing that they could not do last season when, as Joe said, they they ran them really close. So to already have that, I do think that does give you a little bit of a mental edge to have already beaten Man City. It's less of this looming thing that once again we've lost and now we have to hope we beat them in the return leg. Uh, you can sort of build on that confidence a bit if you're Arsenal.
3: Well, yeah, yeah. Th- there's the confidence side. Sorry, Graham. There's a the confidence side, and then this is stating the obvious until you kind of got there. There's the practical side as well of only having to play Man City one more time and already having three points in that battle. Like It has so many different benefits for Arsenal to get that game out of the way fairly early in the year. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like about that. Yeah, and one of the intangible
2: things is that Arsenal now have the experience of having been through one title race last season... Everything felt a little bit euphoric, like nobody could believe the position that they were in after. I'm looking at the table after 13 games last season. um, They were actually only two points ahead of Man City, but if we're looking at how much further ahead they were over the rest of the chasing pack, so between 7th and 1st, after 13 games last season, there was a gap of 13 points compared to, I believe, that's um, 7 points down to 7 7th this season, so it is certainly tighter up the the, the top end of the, the Premier League table this season, but it was almost like, yeah, they couldn't believe they were in such a good position, they expended a lot of emotional energy. I remember getting into kind of December and it felt like Arsenal were counting off, like ticking off the games and counting down the games and I just think emotionally... And psychologically, it's just way too early to be in that kind of mental um, position. It feels a bit different this season. Even though there have been a good number of late winners, we saw one against Brentford just there at the weekend, it doesn't feel like they are expending the same level of emotional energy. So I guess the hope is Hmm. that Arsenal are pacing themselves much better this season. And it does say something that they haven't hit top form yet, and they are still top of the table. Of course, at some point, they probably will have to, hit top form I don't think they can kind of coast their way through the season as they have to this point so far but the hope is as I say that they are pacing themselves a little bit better
1: yeah I think that's a good point Graham when you look at sort of Bayern Munich how they so often in the run-rocker, the the second half of the season they just turn it on and uh they they up their game so to speak that's I suppose what Arsenal will be looking for you want a negative split in the uh in the league campaign if that makes sense which it probably doesn't yeah.
2: And well, Man City do it in the Premier League every single season. They they, yeah. they they round the corner in in the new year and they string together twenty straight wins. And I think what is a, a tangible factor in this for Arsenal is their st- their squad is undoubtedly stronger than it was this time last year. They've got good attacking depth, bringing in Leandro Trossard, who has been an excellent signing. Keep in mind that signing was almost uh, Mikaelo Mudrich. That was the player that they wanted. Chelsea beat them to the punch. They went and got Leandro Trossard, who has that come up worked clutch.
4: out so well for us. It did indeed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it did indeed. Uh, maybe Moodrick will come good for Chelsea, but that hasn't happened yet. Whereas Leandro Trossard has been a difference maker for Arsenal, whether it's as a rotational option. He's played through the middle for Arsenal this season and done very well in those games. They brought in Kai Havertz, who is starting to find a bit of rhythm in this team the last couple of weeks. Eddie Nketiah has come on a lot as well in 2023. I don't think this time last year we were thinking of Nketiah as a feasible depth option for Arsenal. I think we are now with the number of times that Gabriel Jesus has needed a, a deputy to come in for him. So they, they, they've they got decent depth. They'd have even more depth had had Urine uh, Timber not got injured in the first game of the season. They could use another centre-back. I would anticipate maybe them entering the January window for that player. But last season, the talking point was... Arsenal can win this thing if they all stay fit to a man. And it doesn't feel like that's a massive consideration this season. It feels like they could lose a couple of key players and still move forward in this title race. I
0: was going to make a petty point very fast, uh, since Graham mentioned Kai Havertz. This has nothing really to do with their title challenge. Just that when he scores that goal, the winning goal... I really don't love the fingers in the ears celebration. I know what it's meant to signify. I know what he's trying to say, but also like, dude, you gotta recognize there's grounds for criticism here. And there is a reason why people are frustrated you haven't been scoring. And then like just celebrate. Just be happy you scored a goal. I don't know why you have to also be like, I'm not listening to you doubters who are correct that I haven't played that well until this moment. Like it's it, it was an odd moment that made me sort of like, I wanna root for you, man and at the same time you make it kind of hard
2: yeah it was Vlaovic did something similar against Inter (laughs) at the weekend where he was doing the blah 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 kind of gesture and look I'm 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 pretty hot on Dusan Vlaovic but he's not been great for Juventus since going there and uh, as you say Taylor with Havertz a lot of that criticism has been uh, valid so I feel that as well with with Kai Havertz just score your goal and be happy right exactly
1: (laughs) alright so we've made the case for Arsenal uh, uh, feeling bullish about a Premier League title um, challenge this season how about Taylor we make the case why they will not won't win it this time around yeah I can um, do that. <laughs> could could we maybe we start with man city con- <laughs> man city's a big one of course but fi- fixture congestion i think they're out of the league cup if i remember correctly but they could be on uh you know they're doing well in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. they could go deep there potentially that could affect things yeah i mean a- absolutely i think
0: anytime you have the injury issues that graham's already mentioned even with a stronger squad on the whole when you have more games that's going to pile up you're going to run into some issues there I guess the positive you could spin is that it's more opportunity to figure things out because I think we all kind of agree they've been good. They haven't really hit that top form yet, and that is part of why I am concerned about them this season. Uh, there's a really good piece by uh, on theanalyst.com that I'm definitely cribbing from for this one. Uh, but a big point they make there with that is that Arsenal have... Fewer goals and less efficient attacking play this season. Joe is correct that they've scored eight set-piece goals. The problem would be that that's 30% of the overall goals Mm. they've scored, and that doesn't include six penalties on top of that. Uh, They're averaging uh, fewer goals from open play, significantly fewer goals, significantly fewer expected goals as well. I think they're 12th in XG from open play. Uh, Everton and Brentford are ahead of them. Uh, they scored only 12 goals in open play. That's behind Nottingham Forest, Chelsea, West Ham, Bournemouth. So they're not nearly as fluid. They're not getting as many high-quality chances, and they're not converting those chances. And I think a big part of that, this would be the second negative I have, is that it seems like teams have figured out that Martin Odegaard is quite good. Uh, And if you give him time and space to operate, he will operate and do so pretty effectively. And so it seems like teams... I think this is a similar thing I'm going to talk about with Man City. It feels like teams have sort of had the offseason to game plan a little bit and figure out what if we do this against Arsenal? What if we sit somebody on Odegaard and also sit somebody in front of him? So he's not getting the ball, but even when he does, he's getting it with a person on on his back, so he has to drop deeper and deeper and deeper. And a final point there would be that uh, he's getting roughly the same number of touches, I believe, but almost all of them are coming like 30 yards further back than where they were at this time last season. So I think Odegaard being somewhat nullified even though he's still playing fine it's not a criticism against him it's just I think a sign of how important he is to this Arsenal team that teams are really zeroing in on him and thus far that has been largely effective in limiting what they can do in open play
2: is that maybe linked in any way Taylor to Gabriel Jesus not being available for much of the season because I always think with Jesus I don't really have any Uh, statistical data to back this up but just eye test wise I always think with Jesus he creates the space for Martin Odegaard to get forward and into the box Um, that happened last night when we watched him in the Champions League against Long so Jesus has missed quite a bit of the season so far I just wonder if maybe that is a factor behind what you're saying there
0: Yeah which is an odd thing because Gabriel Jesus has never in his time at Man City he was never a striker that i like i was afraid of I, I i like he was good but he never struck me as being that kind of like ruthless finisher that you have to worry about and i think with arsenal he has been and is that figure and so i think when you bring him in defenses are going to focus in on him they're going to get distracted a bit and it will as you said open up those opportunities so yeah i think that's
3: a great shout graham
1: uh joe any other reasons to uh, have some doubts over the gunners this season
3: Taylor absolutely ran through the, the biggest thing that's on my list, which is they're just not as good in the attack and open play this year as they were last year. That is a concern. Graham, your counterpoint's also on my list about, well, a lot of that could be alleviated with Gabriel Jesus coming back in. The, the thing with Jesus is he's not really ever played like a full season of minutes, right? So last season he plays about 2,000 minutes in the Premier League, starts just 24 times. Like, he he does miss time. And so it's difficult to say that Arsenal can count on him being back for the biggest moments between now and the end of the year. The other thing that I think is still a bit up in the air for Arsenal, and and this ties into, I believe, some of their attacking struggles, is they went through some fairly sizable changes. When you think about their squad, bringing in Declan Rice, Granit Xhaka going out, Kai Havertz coming in to ostensibly replace him in that left-sided half-space role. Arsenal, I think, are still trying to feel themselves out, right? It's not just them feeling their opponents out, but they're still trying to figure out exactly who they are and how they work in possession, And Jesus helps with that a ton because he is a super well-rounded striker who can change the game in a lot of different ways. But I don't know that he's going to fix that overnight. I think that's going to take time. It already has taken time. That's borne out in the numbers. That's borne out in the tape. But I I think that is another reason that they could perform just under the level that we know they could reach theoretically Mm -hmm. by the time the season's over. I think one of
2: those squad changes, Joe, that you mentioned is, is is down in my list of why they won't win it this season. And that's the goalkeeping situation, because I do think that has unsettled things a little bit. Maybe it will settle down over the course of the, the season. And I do admire Arteta's drive to always strengthen, even when positions aren't obviously in need of strengthening. I think of the Declan Rice signing as the prime example, where Granite Xhaka has his best season as an Arsenal player last year. But Arteta spots an opportunity to bring in the best player in that position in the Premier League, or certainly one of them, and he brings in uh, Declan Rice. Goalkeeper feels like a little bit of... It feels like a unique position where certainty is really valuable. I'm not a goalkeeper. That's just my um, interpretation of the situation and um, but um, both Raya and Ramsdale have looked glitchy and twitchy at this season and um, I'm not entirely sure that Raya offers that much more in possession than Aaron Ramsdale I always thought Aaron Ramsdale were pretty good on the ball so I'm not sure if, if it was worth aggravating that situation I'm not sold that Raya has improved Arsenal in the way that Arteta would have liked
1: all right let's take a quick break when we come back we'll talk about the defending champions and the favourites Manchester City back shortly
0: New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win. But you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one. It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC.
4: Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at robinhood.com/boost. Subscription fees apply.
1: total soccer show welcome back to the big thing we are talking about the premier league title race for this season and of course graham we must go to manchester city who are very very good um (laughs) best team in the world still do we still give them that title
2: uh, yeah, I think so. Certainly in Europe. And of course, we haven't had the Club World Cup
1: to confirm it yet. We need to wait for that <laughs> before we can truly say Manchester City are the best team in the world. We need to wait but... for the 2014 format to really know, I think, Graham.
2: <laughs> when is that happening? Oh, it just seems knows. to be every year. Yeah, it's happening next year. It's happening next year. <laughs> Nobody knows. Even Gianni you know, Infantino doesn't know.
0: Have know. Man City beaten the Houston Dynamo yet?
2: I'm not not yeah. that I've seen, Taylor. It's I think, that. That. I think questions oh, need go. to be asked. We don't about know. That. Absolutely. We need to know. Gonna, yeah, there's always going to be that question mark over them. Exactly. Until, we need, we, we what we
1: really them. need is a tournament like a Swiss system where you play every team in the world. Almost. Uh, <laughs> that's the, that's how we'll know. That's how we'll know. Anyway, Graham, please, Manchester City. Johnny Infantino just nodding emphatically in the background.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what else there is to say about Manchester City. To be honest, they're Manchester City. They are very good. They won the treble last season. I expect them to win trophies again this season. This is a team that is as close to being. Um, complete as any team in Europe right now. Um, They made changes over the summer, so Gundogan was a key player for them last season, of course. He goes to Barcelona, but Elaine Alvarez has kind of uh, deputized or compensated for both Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne, who's missed a lot of this season, which is kind of ridiculous. City, they, they know what they are, right? They, they know what their identity is. They have world-class players to play the way that they want. And they have a manager, and I think this is key. They have a manager who's always evolving to stay ahead of the competition. And I look at someone like Jurgen Klopp, who is... An exceptional manager in his own right, and he knows how to evolve a team, but I think what Klopp does is he kind of waits till the end of a cycle and then will evolve a team which results in fallow seasons, like we saw last year from Liverpool. Pep Guardiola is always changing things, even when you don't feel like he needs to change things, and that just keeps Man City ahead of the competition. They have a striker who scores about 90 goals a season. There is no other striker in the Premier League like Erling Haaland who guarantees the same number of goals. The other two players, that I would say, are like him um, in that regard are Mbappe and, and Kane. Not in terms of style, I mean in terms of counting on that number of goals. Neither of them are in the Premier League, so that just gives Manchester City such an advantage. And as I've already said... City, similar to how Manchester United under Fergie used to peak at the right time towards the end of the season, City have the same quality. I think some of that is down to mental strength, but I also I also think Guardiola spends a lot of the first half of the season road testing some things and trying to figure some things out, and then when it's the second half of the season, he puts it all together. So even though they are second in the table right now, I still think they're the strongest team in the Premier League.
0: Yep, uh, no arguments here. Uh, I, I would add two little things both of them being kind of intangible things. Graham mentioned they won the treble last season, and I think when people are looking for narratives as to why they might not be as good this season, there's a lot written about complacency, and when you've already won the treble, do you come back and kind of have that same killer instinct? And maybe not for a treble, but I think they would become the first team in English football history to win four consecutive titles. So you still have history beckoning. There's still something that can sort of drive them on in that regard, but I think larger than that, which Graham already hit upon is Pep Guardiola. And I think that evolution is also meant the way he likes to evolve his teams is also meant to keep everybody on their toes and keep everybody hungry. I think when you start doing the same stuff in training and you start playing the same way and you're doing the same stuff, I think you can get complacent. You can get to just like chill in practice. And I think that is very much the opposite of what Pep wants his teams to be. And I think so much of his intensity and his detail oriented management is designed to keep people on their toes, keep them working really, really hard. And to Graham's point, I think if they put in that hard work, then some things click, they have some new wrinkles, and in the second half of the season, not only do they have new looks and new abilities, but they also have a confidence born of, we have figured this out, we can do what he's asked of us in training, we figured out this drill or this system or what have you, and I think that also furthers that confidence a little bit. So I do think there are some intangible things, and then I think there is the fact that Pep Guardiola is... I'm going to say the best manager in the world.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, apologize. I apologize if this is jumping the gun a, a little bit in our structure, but the one thing I believe that could stop Man City from winning the title this season is I do wonder how they would who would absorb a serious injury to Rodri. Because when he was suspended earlier this season, in every other position all over the pitch, even Erling Haaland, if Erling Haaland is out for a period, I think Julian Alvarez plays that position very differently but is still able to carry that Manchester City attack as the centre forward. In every other position, even goalkeeper, Stefan Ortega, I've been fairly impressed with him. Rodri is the one player, I don't know if there's a direct replacement for him. For him, And when he was suspended earlier in the season for three games, um, City lost all three of those games. They went out of the Carabao Cup, they lost back-to-back games. One of those was against Wolves, and then was the other one against Arsenal, I think. Three games in a row that Manchester City lost when Rodri was missing. So I know Haaland is maybe the the the, head, the headline grabber scores the most goals, um, but I, I think maybe Rodri is their most important player in that they don't have a replacement for him, so that that could knock them out of their stride. That's that's interesting,
1: Graham. It always occurs to me that Pep City, if if we can compare them to the Death Star, where they always find a weakness which you have to get to, it's that Rodri position. It's like it was Fernandinho a few years back, wasn't it? Four or five yeah. years ago, whenever the games they lost were the ones where Fernandinho was absent through. Yeah, if you, if you shoot this very specific target, the
2: whole thing will <laughs> blow up.
1: That's yeah. Rodri. There we go. The plot of every Star Wars movie. Joe, any other, uh, any other reasons why Early Man Holland City
0: can bullseye a womper I think that is one of his special abilities when it comes to his shooting skill. So there you go. He's already got that covered too.
1: <laughs> bullseye a womp rat wow that's a phrase that's awesome got to of to context it. tss <laughs> it certainly is in his uh, 16 back home come on <laughs> <laughs> joe any thoughts on why city won't win it i think what occurs to me is um that they are not bulletproof in defense their last seven premier league games yep. they've had one clean sheet that was in the manchester derby they can be got at from uh you know, getting in Getting in behind uh, in their defense, possibly. Yep.
3: I'm trying to make it convincing that I they know, can be got at here. I know. <laughs> Sorry. I, I think that is a completely <laughs> valid point. And Graham, I didn't have the Rodri one down in my notes, but I, I absolutely love that as well. I think that would be the most costly injury of, of any potential one in this team. Holland is probably right behind there. But that aside, the Rodri shot aside, yeah, the defense, I talked about this on the Champions League show yesterday. We've seen cracks, right? We've seen Ruben Diaz have more individual mistakes than I can recall him having in a a few game stretch over the last few games than ever before. Manuel Kanji is not bulletproof defensively either. So this team is still better at controlling space and and controlling the the way the chances are flowing than the vast majority of teams, but they are not 100% ironclad in how they approach defending. I, I think that's more likely to improve than it is to stay how it is now. <clears> oh, <throat> excuse me, I at least don't think it's going to get any worse than it's been. And City can still win a title at their current trajectory, by the way. But if we're looking for cracks in the foundation, yeah, this is one of them. Yeah, and I think that defensive,
0: I don't know, flexibility right now can be a problem for them because uh, I was reading a good piece on The Athletic about like what could go wrong for them. And one of the points that was being made is that teams seem to have decided on they're going to score goals, they're going to be aggressive, so let's just attack them. And that is what Wolves did, that's how they get the win, that's what Arsenal did, and how they got their win. And uh, the article was pointing out that the the team thus far that has tried to sit in and defend and frustrate is Manchester United, and that did not go that well. So, uh, I think it's, an, it's another interesting example, similar to what I was saying about Odegaard. It does seem like teams have had more time to try to figure out City and to try to do some different things, and I think those teams that are doing that are also stronger. I think that is just the case this season that a lot of the teams we're discussing. It's a reason why we're doing this show. There, there are just generally stronger. There are more title challenges. There is more quality. And so that can chip away. If you, if you have teams that are going to take points off you here and there, it, they can take points off everybody else. Don't get me wrong. But I think that brings things down a little bit. So City might still win the title. I think there's a pretty good chance they will but I would be surprised if it's with the same number of points as last year.
1: All right. Uh, Just behind Man City, one point behind, in fact, Liverpool on 28 points. Sorry, Ryan. The other thing, I wasn't sure we were done with them. The other thing that I think is like kind of
0: small elephant in the room is just that I doubt anything happens this season, but if it were, there could be a points deduction. We've seen it with everything.
2: 1,000-point deduction. Yeah, I mean,
0: that's really, if we're talking about things that would stop Man City from winning it, a, a sizable points deduction might be the only thing <laughs> like it would be interesting if they got deducted like 15 points and still won they got deducted uh, Erling Haaland exactly, that would be a exactly a that's it and I, and again I don't think that will happen but given that Everton have gotten that punishment mid-season you never know with the uh the charges hanging over Man City but that does feel like a thing that's going to drag on until next season or even longer
1: I feel like, yeah, Man City, uh, where they are incredibly strong in depth is their lawyers, yeah. and I feel like they could make it drag on, even if they got uh, given handed down something this season, they, they could make it last five years, it feels like, right? Yeah. yeah. Would, so, yes, we get a half-point deduction for the next 50 years. That's how we're doing this. Yes. <laughs>
2: they're going to they're gonna Klarna their points deduction. over. The- <laughs> Excellent reference. Uh, let's go
3: to uh, Liverpool, who are in third place. That was a place. slow burn for me, Graham. That was so good. <laughs> that was
1: good. That was good. Um, Liverpool, they, uh, Graham, a serious title challenger at this point. They are but two points off of Arsenal at the top at the moment.
2: I think they have to be considered as as title contenders at, at the moment. Obviously, um, well, I was going to say the table doesn't lie, but Everton are second bottom, and they've been they've been pretty good so so far this season. Maybe the table does lie, but nonetheless, Liverpool have been better this season than last season. So many of their problems last season came from the midfield, which had just gotten old. Now they they have an entirely new uh, unit in the middle, so Fabinho, Henderson, Naby Keita um who's the other one Oxlade uh, Chamberlain as well he left over the summer Gravenberch, Endo McAllister Shobosly they're they're the players that come in that's a big upgrade and Shobosly has been excellent Gravenberch has been bled in gradually at least in the Premier League I know he's starting a lot of games in, in the Europa League but I've been, I've been impressed with him as well McAllister's playing as, as the six and that's not his best position but I think he's become an important player as well and so the knock-on effect of having this more energetic midfield unit i think is huge and so the counter pressing that liverpool are now more able to do means that the attack is getting more opportunities and the defense isn't as exposed as it was last season liverpool defensively last year were a a bit of a mess and a lot of that came from just the lack of pressure in the center of the pitch now that pressure is generally back and this is the main reason why i feel quite good about liverpool's title chances is that midfield Another reason, if I have to look at the attack, uh, the Nunez-Sala relationship is is getting stronger and stronger. I know Nunez was signed as Liverpool's Haaland, and that hasn't quite panned out, and I don't think he'll ever be Liverpool's Haaland. But I think Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, and even their fans, now have a greater understanding of what kind of player he is. He's more of a facilitator, right? And he is helping to get the best of Mohamed Salah, again. And that in itself is huge for Liverpool. All nine of uh, Darwin Nunez's, well, that's difficult to say, uh, all nine of his assists have been for Salah this season. Um, and I know Nunes can be frustrating with some of his finishing and and there are chances he scores that you think, how has he scored that one? And then 10 minutes later, there's an easier chance that he somehow blasts into the stand. He's a frustrating player like that. But his work rate is very Roberto Firmino-esque. And Liverpool have always been a team that likes to have that element of chaos in the attack. And I think Darwin Nunes brings that. They're a better team when he... Is in that lineup, so I just I just feel better about Liverpool's lineup lineup from from back to front. I think they've done a decent job. It's not complete just yet. The rebuild, but they've done, they've done a
1: good job of the first phase of that rebuild. Is it impressive, Taylor, that we are in this rebuild, this 2.0, this 3.0 of Klopp's Liverpool, whatever we're going to call it? Because there was a feeling after last season's, you know, not not didn't finish what they wanted to. There was a feeling where, you know, maybe the Klopp project had run its course, but it seems like the trajectory is heading back up again, arguably.
0: I think it's, it's very impressive. I think Liverpool have been much stronger than I expected them to be, and they've maintained that form thus far, unlike another team we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, I think for the expectation that this would be sort of a rebuilding year and they were having to figure some things out and they brought in some temporary replacement replacements but then also some maybe longer term players it felt like this was expected to be a season where they kind of figure it out they still finish in the top six uh but maybe not quite at the level that they were at in seasons past and yet they have looked very sharp they have figured things out with Nunez as Graham talked about and I think Despite some of the injuries and despite some of the critical injuries at that, they are continuing to play excellent football and seem to be, if not improving match to match, there is improvement overall so that that, yeah, the, the kind of scale keeps going up. Uh, the, the slide keeps going up, whatever the word I'm looking for is here. Uh, and so I think for a team that I did not have huge expectations for this season, I, I think I now very much do.
1: Excellent.
3: Uh, Joe, do you feel the same way, positively? I, th- I think Liverpool are the third team that are really in the title challenge right now. And that's not intended to be a slight of the teams we'll talk about. There's lots of things to be excited about for them as well. But if you ask me how many teams are really in the race, Liverpool are the third. And they're, they are still third of the three, but they're in that top band. A lot of the reasons that have already been said factor into to me saying that. I, I do just want to like really boil it down. For me, it's the attack and it's the goalkeeping. They're third in the league, just two points behind Arsenal right now to, again, relay the foundation. They're fourth in, in goals this year. They're at 28 goals, five behind league-leading Man City. So that doesn't like scream the the greatest attack in the Premier League, but they have the most expected goals and the most non-penalty expected goals in the league. And I know people bristle at that, but that is a useful indicator of what this team is going to continue to do going forward. Salah continues to be excellent. He is the tip of the spear for Liverpool, and they just have like, so much spear behind the spear. <laughs> like there's there's the spear's really long. Like Don yeah. Nunes, Jota, Diaz, Gakpo, Soberslay. Nunez has four goals, Jota has four goals, Diaz has three, Gakpo has two, Somerslai has one, Alexander-Arnold is an elite chance creator and has a goal as well. We just saw that over the weekend. Then you look at the other end, and I'll just toss in the reason why Liverpool won't win the title along the way, and again, this is all hypothetical, but their defending is, is not very good. They're vulnerable in a lot of different places. McAllister is not somebody that we really thought was going to be playing the sixth role for this season, and he is. Endo has not been more than a rotation piece for them. And Klapp has fully leaned into moving TAA inside and they play as a double pivot in possession and they defend in transition oftentimes as a double pivot. And that is not a fearsome group of players with their defensive reads or their ability to control the field and win challenges in that crucial part of the field. So they struggle dealing with transitions through the heart of their team. They also struggle when someone like, oh, I don't know. Why is Man City's left winger completely just gone out of my head? What on earth? The new one they signed, the Belgian guy, Doku. 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 Thank you. There it is. When Doku <laughs> he was goes too quick, up, for you, Joe. he was too quick. That exactly. was terrible. <laughs> I had it in my head and it completely left me. Uh, they struggle when a, a, a winger like Doku or someone who's not quite as dribbly as he is but still likes to dribble goes 1v1 against Alexander Arnold. Owen oh, Van Dijk is also now not the same player that he used to be. So those are all problems, but yeah. to loop it back around as to why Liverpool fans should be optimistic. Allison is the best goalkeeper in the Premier League right now. By a, a fairly wide margin, the shot-stopping numbers are, I think, second in the league. But the importance that he brings and the value that he adds to a Liverpool team and the conversations that they're in is second to none among that group. Allison is saving about a quarter of a goal per 90 minutes, which is right where he was last year. He's already saved about 3.4 goals above expected, according to FBref. That's super valuable. Shout out, by the way, to Luton Town's Thomas Kaminsky. Yeah for being first in that metric this year. We'll see if that continues or not. But Allison is a match winner for Liverpool, and they have match winners on both ends. I I, I like that in a team.
0: Uh, A couple more positives. Uh, Home form, rock solid, 10 successive uh, wins in the league, all by multi-goal margins. Uh, Joe already laid out the the number of goals scored, but then also how many different goal scorers there have been for the team. I think on the negative side, uh, they've been very good at home. On the road, not quite the fortress. Only nine out of a possible 18 points so far this season. So at Anfield, much stronger. Uh, On the road, slightly less. And that is a thing that you need to kind of iron out and be a bit more consistent if you want to challenge for the title. Uh, And then a, a thing that I think will become a consistent refrain as we go further down this list is just their depth. That would be the major... Concern for me, uh, exemplified by against Brentford, I think Luis Diaz was the only substitute over the age of 20. Uh, That is not the level of experience you need. I think if you want to have a sustained uh, title challenge, Andy Robertson out until late January, early February uh, could be a potentially big issue. And I think it's interesting in Joe talking about uh, Alexander Arnold moving centrally, but how that presents space out wide for Doku. This is the first team that we're talking about where there is a very specific vulnerability that I think a lot of different teams can try to exploit. Maybe not as effectively as Man City, maybe not as well as Jeremy Doku, but it is an area of opportunity. It's an obvious area of opportunity that I think most teams will target and go for until Liverpool stop it. And to stop it, I think they have to change some of what they're doing defensively. So I think we could see them have to plug holes, and that opens up other holes elsewhere. So that sort of like lack of depth, lack of quality overall is where I think they might uh, trip up over the long
2: run. Yeah. While Alexander-Arnold, obviously he is he's so creative there are benefits to moving him into central midfield. It's a little bit like pulling the bed cover up to your neck and then leaving the feet open at the bottom, and I think Andy Robertson might might be the feat, to be honest. So I understand what you're saying, Taylor. <laughs> that's a strange analogy. That. That's, another, that's another out of context for you. That's going, that's going, going straight up. Yep. Yeah. Andy Robertson, obviously been an, an excellent player for Liverpool, genuinely a, world, a world-class a world fullback for a number of seasons, the best Scottish player of, of my lifetime. But by pushing Trent Alexander-Arnold into central midfield, that is pushing the Liverpool defence more centrally it's pushing them more into the middle and it's becoming a three and andy andy robertson has kind of been kieran Tierney out of this uh out of this liverpool team he doesn't look very comfortable in those central positions certainly on the ball he's more of a traditional flying fullback who gets high and gets the crosses into the box and that's not really a demand on him when trent alexander arnold is in the middle so i am i am a bit concerned about
1: andy robertson i feel like he might be faced he might be a victim of phase two of this uh of this rebuild uh, best Scottish player of my lifetime, says Graham. I'm just censoring the addition we're going to send to John McGinn and to Scott McTominay <laughs> as well, just so they don't get offended by well, it. Well, they're still on the rise. They're going okay. achieve,
2: to achieve more over the next
1: few years. Fine. All right. Uh, Graham. before we head to break, any other reasons why Liverpool will not win the Premier League this season? And don't say Arsenal-Man City. I think a lot of bases
2: have been covered already the the number six position Taylor mentioned temporary solutions I think that's maybe what he was getting at McAllister great player but more comfortable more in a more advanced position higher up the pitch he's not really a number six Endo hasn't really made a big impression so it feels like they're they're still looking for they wanted Moses Caicedo that from Brighton that was the player that they wanted he went to Chelsea they went and got a stopgap solution so I think either in January
1: or next summer they'll go. They'll spend big on a, on a new number six. All right. So those are the big three contenders for the title race. I suspect at the end of this at the end of this episode, excuse me, uh, we will select maybe one of those teams we think most likely to lift the title this season. But there are a few other contenders, as I noted. The top four currently only separated by two points. The top five only by four points. Uh, let's look at the other contenders after this short break.
3: Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, Nkosi Tafari, never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, Linen and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at INDOCHINO.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC.
0: This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, this is an episode about the Premier League title race. We are now going to talk about Aston Villa in fourth place (laughs) in the Premier League currently, obviously doing incredibly well at the moment. Uh, Give me some reasons why they can sustain and surprise. Sure. I mean, I think... Similar to Liverpool, they have made
0: their home stadium a fortress. I think they are perfect at home so far this season, which shows the consistency they can have. I would say the away form maybe does the opposite of that. But I think for them to have started as strongly as they they have and to have that sort of... I think the feeling that you can go back home and have that that safety blanket, which covers, I guess, both up to your neck and then over your feet, uh, to extend Graham's analogy, I think th- that is a very welcome thing where you have at least that – like rock to build around, and then you can improve improve your away record, which is a knock against them. Though I think that there are even some positives there. I also think they were smart in the transfer market, spending money to bring in Musa Diaby, spending money to bring in Paul Torres, who scores this weekend, a pretty critical goal. They bring in Nico Zaniolo on, on a uh, on a loan, and the biggest one I, for me would be the free transfer of Eurytelemens from Leicester for how good he has been and how much he could have cost some teams a season or two ago to get him on a free and have him have the impact he has. It just shows smart business uh, for a Villa team that also got rid of some players that I feel like weren't going to be important for them, so it's not a, a huge net loss overall. I think they can amortize some things and end up being able to spend a little more money in January if they need to. I doubt they can spend as much as some of the other teams we have talked about and we'll still talk about, but I think they've gotten their transfers right so far and they've gotten their home form perfect so far.
2: Yeah, I think Villa genuinely have one of the strongest midfield units in the league at this moment. Douglas Louise, I think, is... Obviously, shown he's shown prom, promise over the course of his of, of his career. I think he's really peaking now. We're starting to see him as one of the best players in his position in the league. Um, Kamara, of course, Super John again. It would be remiss of me not to mention him as the captain. And then Telemans, who I, I thought was going to be more a more integral part of this team, but as a depth option so far this season off the bench, he has he's been fantastic. And then Jacob Ramsey. He's been injured for a long time. I think people have forgotten how good Jacob Ramsey, as I anticipate he'll be in a, uh, maybe not an important part of the England team because there's a guy called Jude Bellingham, but I think he'll be a, a long-term part of the England squad over the, over the coming years. And they're just so effective on the defensive side of the ball. They're a nightmare to play against because they have that really intelligent mix of being organised and compact, which is obviously a hallmark of Unai Emery as a coach, but then also knowing when to press and nipping in and winning the ball. And then on the attacking side, they're so good at turning defence into attack and, and and that midfield unit is that valve. So it's the midfield. Yes, there are other players like Ollie Watkins is obviously one of the the, the kind of most proven goal scorers in the league at this point. And they've got defensive quality as well. And and Emmy uh, Martinez is, is a World Cup winning goalkeeper. So there is quality throughout the team. But it's the midfield that I think is the real strength of of, of, of this side. And not just because Super John McGinn and there his, is. Uh, sure. And, sure. yeah, and his backside, his beautiful backside play in, in that part of the pitch.
3: <laughs> Graham's been very excited to do this episode and to talk about Aston Villa. And I, I have a suspicion that it was all to, to shoehorn yeah. in some John McGinn convo. I don't blame you, though, Graham. He has been really, really strong for this Aston Villa team. And you're right to be proud of him as a fellow Scott. One of my favorite things about this Villa side. Right now they're tied for the second most goals scored in the Premier League they consistently target really dangerous central areas in the attack and that is very clear from how Unai Emery sets this team up he wants them to push numbers through the middle and break into central spaces and that is exactly what they do it's been a a sprinkling of 4 triple 2 for them throughout the season so far some 4-2-3-1 but players come inside right even when John McGinn sort of is nominally out wide. Like, he is a central player. He's coming inside, adding another number to them in that part of the field, stacking numbers in the middle with Douglas Suiz and McGinn and Bubacar Kamara and then, you know, Telemans and Bitson Spurts. The the Aston Villa attack, attacks through the center more than every single team in the Premier League outside of Manchester City. I'll say that one more time because this stat blew my mind when I found it on who scored. Aston Villa attack through the center more than every team in the Premier League outside of treble winners last year Manchester City. 31%. Of Aston Villa's attacks come through the middle. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're getting the highest quality chances when they attack through the middle, right? That's where the opposing team sets up numbers. That's where they are very clear about wanting to deny space. But the fact that Aston Villa, with the players they have, they don't have an Arsenal squad. They don't have a Liverpool squad. The fact that they have been able to channel so many looks through that part of the field without leaning all the way into fighting for second balls or going, you know, boom ball along the way. Like, they do play some real soccer. And the fact that they can get into those areas so much with Ollie Watkins, seven goals this year has been really good finding chances, third most non-penalty expected goals in the league behind Nicholas Jackson and Erling Holland. Like, I've been really impressed with a lot of what Aston Villa do when they have the ball.
1: And, Graham, if we're going to quickly talk about why Villa won't win the title, there's probably some reasonably apparent uh, rationales for what why they won't. But if they did... Could it be Leicester-esque, given what the team was when Emery picked it up? It's certainly in that vein, isn't it? I, I
2: would still argue that Leicester City was was more of a fairy tale because I don't think coming into this season anyone thought Aston Villa were at risk of relegation, which, mm. casting my mind back to 2016, which feels like a, a lifetime ago, I guess it was, seven it was. years ago. But going into that season, I thought Leicester City were a relegation candidate. So it yeah. maybe not quite the same, but it would, it would certainly be the biggest shock in the Premier League since then, I, th- I think Aston Villa just generally, in terms of their talent, are a stronger team than than Leicester City, where I have I have concerns about their fullbacks. I'm not entirely sure their fullbacks are up to the standard of the rest of their team, which is why they've been linked with Jeremy Frimpong, Frimpong who I think will probably end up being out of their reach. Obviously, the Bayer Leverkusen uh, right wing back, very impressive, has also been linked with Manchester United and, and Arsenal and all those teams. And um, they also wanted uh, I don't appreciate the way you said Manchester
3: United just then.
0: How did no, I didn't say it you're just like he's also been linked with Manchester United I feel I feel like you, <laughs> well, you a Taylor, there, would, Taylor would you
3: like us to do a longer conversation about Manchester United's flaws or should we should we not do that oh uh, that's coming later okay, <laughs> okay cool <laughs> gotcha no,
0: no thank you
3: alright
2: yeah so basically Villa in the, in the fullback areas I'm not convinced that they're that strong I also have concerns over who replaces Ollie Watkins if he gets an injury John Duran seems to be the the depth option but is he ready to lead a Premier League team in a title race? I'm not entirely sure. And then there's also the risk that Douglas Luiz, a lot of speculation around him going to Arsenal. Arsenal have a longstanding interest in him. If he were to get picked off in January, that, that's a lot of quality to lose from that midfield area.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point, Graham. And it is the case that if somebody came in for him, it's obviously going to be a very, very sizable amount that Villa would get. But I do think if they were to accept that, because I think that's what you'd have to pay to get a player like Douglas Louise at this point in the season, it sort of shows right away that they are prioritizing that money coming in and being able to have further investments for the future, as opposed to maybe pursuing a title challenge this season, which I think would be good business on their part. But I think that alone kind of speaks to why they might not be title challengers. Uh, Another sort of compliment sandwich in a negative way, a negative, positive, negative, uh, if we're looking at why they might not. Villa have only won seven points from six league matches on the road this season. Uh, Only six Premier League clubs have won fewer away points. So that's the negative. Maybe the slight positive would be that uh, they, they won two of those games. They got a draw at Molyneux, which is no small feat this season. Wolves are difficult at home. Uh, but then they've already played at Anfield, at Stamford Bridge, at St. James's Park. So you could argue they've gotten some of their more tricky road fixtures out of the way, but... Similar to Liverpool, the major negative would be that that high line that Unai Emery loves, that allows them to be compact, that allows them to to get into attacking spaces so effectively, can be exploited equally effectively. Uh, A good number from uh, the Premier League website, Uh, eight of the 12 away goals Villa have conceded this season, Uh, 66% came at Liverpool and Newcastle. Matches where basically they played right through them, they went direct, they broke that high line either via individual dribbles or just direct balls over the top. But I think those two games showcased that if you have the talent to weather some of the press and look for those long balls over the top, you can get opportunities. And I think of a speedster like the aforementioned Jeremy Doku having a field day
2: against that back line. Has the, the calendar year table been mentioned yet? Because that is maybe the most startling thing about Aston Villa under Unai Emery, is in 2023, only Man City have have won more points than them. Wild, One yeah. team in the Premier League has more points than Aston Villa in 2023. And I just just finally, I know we're going long on Aston Villa, um, I don't think we've given enough credit to Unai Emery yet. Agreed. Because the I've always had this notion that Unai Emery is actually a Tier 1 manager, certainly a Tier 2 manager. He's just made bad career choices over the course of his career. But at Aston Villa, it feels like he's got a lot of power at this club right now. He's allowed to play the style of football that he wants, unlike at PSG and Arsenal, where there was kind of an expectation to play a style that wasn't really his and he didn't really know. I think the transfer strategy is clearly aligned with what Emery wants from this team. So players like Moussa Diaby and Pau Torres have been perfect for this approach. And I think Villa have this really valuable thing at the moment where it feels like everyone is heading in the same direction. There's cohesion in all areas of the club, and I think that is molded around Unai Emery. So have after previous failures at PSG and certainly Arsenal, where he became a bit of a figure of fun, unfairly, I would argue, I'm pleased to see him have this period of, of success at Aston Villa.
0: And it's a thing that he really wants. I think he, he had a point to prove a chip on his shoulder about the way he felt like he was treated by the British press, by Arsenal maybe as a club, and by some of their supporters too. I think he he wants to prove that he belongs and is a top-tier manager. I think with the squad quality we've talked about and the investment of the three clubs we've already mentioned, I do think it is sort of a, a three-horse race at present and then a, a good chasing pack who will be fighting for that top-four spot. But I think there's a reason, not just because of the table, why we're talking about Villa here. I feel like they are well-positioned to do just that Graham as you said with their record for the calendar year they're what on I think two points a game which is good enough for fourth place I think I read in like every single iteration of the Premier League so uh with that in mind or at least fourth place I should say so with that in mind they are on pace to get that final Champions League spot we'll see if it continues
3: yeah Taylor Taylor you kind of got there sorry just one more quick thing to point out on Villa like you look at this attack, and they've been producing at a high level, scoring goals in a, a number of different games, scoring a lot of goals in a couple of games, as has been mentioned. Uh, my issue with them and Ryan, you kind of led in with their sort of obvious reasons why maybe this won't be sustainable. I think the most obvious has to do with squad quality, and Taylor, you got to that. But specifically, like who is the next attacking option? I like Musa Diaby as a player. He's got three goals this season in 1,000 minutes, right? That is not an elite attacking output from that player, right? So Ollie Watkins is a really good number nine, Musa Diaby is a talented winger. Leon Bailey has never turned into that player for them. John McGinn is a useful like fourth or fifth scorer, but when super he's John having McGinn. to do more of that, super John McGinn. Thank sorry, you. super John McGinn. Of course, mm. we can sing it later if you guys want. I'm, I'm down for that. But like I'm, that I'm is, on it. I think that is the obvious reason, sort of Ryan, that you mentioned coming into this conversation that the depth isn't there to the point where, and the top end talent isn't there to the point where they're an obvious team to project staying and where they are right now. Yeah, I think Unai Emery has a, has
2: a recognition of that um, considering the, the speculation that they're going to go for Anaki Williams in January, which I think would probably be an upgrade on some of the options that they, they have. And I think he would be a good fit for that team,
0: actually. Graham, an important final question for me. Is it in the song for Villa, would it be, he's Unai's man? Is it he's Emery's man? That feels like too many syllables.
2: Uh, so, Unai's man? Yeah, I think Unai, Unai, Unai works, kind cool. of. I'm glad we got that sorted. All
1: right, let's workshop that later. Uh, a few more... Um... Title contenders to talk about. Aston Villa getting a lot of airtime for the title contenders conversation. Wonderful to see. Uh, a couple more teams to mention. Tottenham. Um, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? I mean,
0: you Graham. I'm being discourteous. Uh, I will say this. I think uh, as we talked about Liverpool's rebuild, uh, Spurs are way ahead of where I thought they would be. Uh, mm-hmm. Even with Graham hyping them up uh, as much as he did under Antipas the way they hit the ground running, uh, how strongly they started the season until recently, they haven't really seemed to miss Harry Kane until recently. Uh, but I think that like everybody seems to have bought in the, there seems to be uh, recognition that the system works, that they want to play this style. I think, really, they are at a higher level than I expected them to be, and I think it's maybe the best possible position they could be in, because I don't think they have much de- – the depth necessary. I think they're another team that is that is lacking. We see that with James Madison going out and their struggles to create as a result. And so I feel like they're in a really good position, and an especially good position for call glue then in the summer to say, hey – I need money. I need players. I need this, this, and this, and this, and this. And I think they've put themselves in a really good position, uh, a higher position than I expected them to be.
2: I feel like we've kind of been robbed of a really good storyline in the Premier League because it just completely all fell to pieces for Spurs in the space of 90 minutes. In that chaos game against Chelsea where Madison gets injured, when Van de de Ven gets injured, when Romero gets sent off. And so I think there's an alternative universe where okay Spurs probably don't win the Premier League title but they they, they ride this wave for at least a, few, a couple months more and it's it's interesting and, and there's momentum behind them and yeah I kind of I feel a little bit robbed at this point um, I'm struggling to come up with an argument for why Spurs will win it because we've already seen why they won't win it, it's already been mentioned the squad depth, they, they've got a lot of injuries at the moment they don't have players who can come in and, and, and do the same job but before the injuries hit the big reason to be positive about Spurs was how quickly they'd absorbed Angebal and there are a lot of teams in the Premier League who don't have a clear identity, certainly ones that are they're, they're scrambling around for results. And Spurs have that. They have a clear way of playing. They have players, um, they or they had players anyway, who were perfect for the system and, and the approach. And kind of like Villa, it felt like the club was heading in the same direction. And I think the club is still heading in the same direction. It just feels like everything's kind of been put on ice for two or three months until some of those players come back.
3: The other positive I'll add for Tottenham, because I agree the injuries took them out of contention here. And, and Grim, you're right. We sort of are in a reality right now where if if things had gone differently in that game against Chelsea, we're having a likely a different conversation about Tottenham. What I will say on that is like the realities in which Tottenham stayed perfectly healthy and kept all of their key players for every game of the season are much, much fewer than the realities that are much more like the one that we're living in right now. So I, I think it is... Perfectly reasonable that Tottenham are exactly where they are. They'll get Madison back. They'll get Van de Ven back. They'll be better than they are currently. But, like, I don't think it was ever realistic for them to be in that conversation in a major way. One positive, though, is how good Vicario has been in goal for them. I mentioned Allison's numbers numbers earlier. Vicario is, like, right on his tail. Almost the exact same shot-stepping numbers, saving about a quarter of a goal per 90 minutes above expected That's massive. And for a team that's playing open like Tottenham play and was always going to play under Ainge Postacoglu, having him in the back to anchor things is huge for them. Uh, Real quick,
1: Graham, any reasons to include Man United and or Newcastle in this conversation? No. (laughs) 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 well that is the answer I can't make a case for Man United to win it but I'll try and make a
2: case for them being near the top very quickly right so we saw Man United have not too dissimilar problems in the early stages of last season they managed to recover and they had a really strong second half of the season players are coming back from injury I think it's been understated just how important Luke Shaw and Lissandro Martinez were to that Manchester United defense last season and they have barely played this season I think there's a chance Kobe Menuh is a key player within a few months. And if he is a key player, he completely changes the profile of that midfield. Rasmus Hoyland is still finding his feet, but he is the top scorer in the Champions League so far this season. So you'd assume it's only a matter of time until we see or start seeing more of that in, in the league. Garnacho is he, heating up a bit. Rashford as well, albeit slowly. But yeah, this is a Manchester United team that still has a, a, a lot of problems. The main one being, and we spoke about this in the Champions League review, They just can't control games, either in terms of their use of possession or just the general sense of situations as well. They lose control of situations so easily, like (laughs) last night, where they're 3-1 up and cruising, and then it just gets away from them so quickly. There is a panic factor in in this team that just is not going to hold up well in a a, a title race. So while I do think there's a chance Manchester City do improve from this point, yeah, they're they're not going to be in the title race discussion. That was a
1: long way of saying no to my question, Grant, but thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I
2: don't, I don't think just saying <laughs> no would be particularly interesting. Listening. It
1: worked. <laughs> uh, Taylor, anything a bit more to add before we get to our final prediction?
0: Just that I enjoy how annoyed Joe was to even have to consider talking about <laughs> Manchester United at this point in this episode. Yeah, I think why they will, I have these broken down to why they will, why they won't. The only things I could say is that they can theoretically reinforce in January, allegedly, because I believe in the summer they had no money and weren't spending. Maybe Jim Ratcliffe has changed that. Um, and just that they're still around. They're still in the conversation, in the pack, and they have not yet played to their potential, not yet played to the level they did at points last season. So there's an argument they could. I think there's a much more likely argument that they won't. There's uh, They're too shaky at the back. They're too wide open. I think even when they win, they have pretty glaring deficiencies and pretty glaring vulnerabilities, uh, I, I think Newcastle will finish ahead of them. Uh, yeah. So we should probably talk about them instead.
2: Yeah, that, I was going to jump in there and say, can I make the case very quickly for Newcastle? Because I have an easier time. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I have an easier time with that yep. than Manchester United. I think Newcastle are a, a, a pretty savvy team, certainly savvier than you would expect with their level of, of, of experience. And I can't remember, maybe it was you, Ryan, or, or, or maybe you ripped it off from <laughs> someone else, but someone said anyway that they were the Premier League's Atletico Madrid. And I can kind of see that. They're up to all the tricks. They test you physically. They, they they don't necessarily want lots of the ball, but when they have the ball, they use it very intelligently. And when Newcastle are on top form, they are a force of nature who, and I mean this, can blow away any team in the Premier League. We saw last season against Manchester City, there was a game where Man City stole a draw against Newcastle United at St. James's Park. They, Newcastle were all over them in that game. And that's kind of the reason I can't fully, while well, I don't think they will, I can't fully discount them entirely because if they were to get up ahead of steam and maybe if they don't have European football after Christmas, that's another factor and that they're in the champions league. And I think that has been why they've struggled to achieve consistency in the first half. But if those two things happen, I could see them getting into the stride where they are really, really difficult to stop where teams are going to St. James's park, which I think is the most formidable away ground in the league at the moment. We've got January coming up. And my, I was reading this thing that said FFP really restricted Newcastle in the summer, Uh, But a lot of their totally legitimate sponsorship deals, of course, are now on on, on the books. And they've got Champions League money coming in on the books. So they have a bit more cap space, so to speak. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went big with a couple of major signings in in, in January as well. So I don't think they're going to win it, but I think I can make an easier case for Newcastle than I can for my United. So Graham says Newcastle will win the title. Just want that on record.
0: Uh, the, the other thing there with the signings, um, much has been made of the the vote about whether or not clubs can loan players from other clubs they own, uh, which they did end up, I forget if it passed or failed, but either way, they can still loan those players is how it went down. And that was all, I think, sort of with the widely reported rumors that Newcastle wanted to bring uh, Rub- I think it was Ruben Nevsch from al I think that's who it was. Um, yeah, it was. Because they own that club as well. And so you could then loan him over. I think they won't end up going for him. And I think maybe that was exaggerated. But that is another area where they could pull in players um, and could like sort of skirt FFP that way if they wanted to. I don't think they will because that would be pretty obvious. But that
1: is just another route that they could use to bring in players if they need quality in January. Wonderful stuff. One final thing to do. Joe's favorite thing. Who's going to win the Premier League? Joe, Man City for me, for
3: reasons we outlined earlier. For you? Yep, yep. All of us are going to say Man City. That's my second bonus prediction for you, Ryan. No, Graham's got
1: Newcastle. Taylor's got Newcastle. (laughs) Graham's Uh, (laughs) got Newcastle. I've got Super John McGinn. I've got Aston Villa. (laughs) (laughs) That was my question, Graham. Would you rather
0: have Ange Postacoglu win the Premier League? Or would you rather have Super John McGinn? If they're playing each other in the last game.
2: Okay, cool. Yeah, I like Postacoglu, (laughs) but he's nowhere on the John McGinn skill.
1: All right. I'm, I'm interpreting both your answers as also Man City. Great good to hear. Thank well, you very much. You do that. <laughs> uh, Graham Ruthven a pleasure to have you big thing in, as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rocco, thank you very much, my good sir. Thank you very much, Ryan Bailey. RIP Shane McGowan. Indeed. Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And listener, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid journey. We're going to be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye!